Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We thank you that your word will come forth in simplicity and clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. Thank you for the journey that you have taken us through the book of John. And Father, we have reached a place where we will learn about your spirit. We ask that let your spirit become real to us as a person. Let the Holy Spirit become God in our eyes because that's who he truly is. As we take our time to understand who the Holy Spirit is, reveal to us your knowledge, your perfect will that you want us to know that it will change the trajectory of our faith, our our faith walk and our worship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just read from John chapter 14, verse 15 to 18. And like I keep on saying, this is the Thursday before Jesus was crucified on the Friday. Um, Jesus was just talking to them about some of the weightier things or some of the passionate things on his heart before he goes to the cross on a Friday. And we have looked at many deliberations starting from chapter 13. And today's deliberation is a very important one. First and foremost started with, if you love me, keep my commandments. I believe Jesus saw the disciples as the next batch of leaders. The baton of leadership was going to fall on the disciples. And when Jesus was born and where he grew up, he had seen another form of leadership in the form of the religious leaders who are made up of Pharisees, Sadducees, and the like. And quite honestly, they did not really have the Christ-like leadership. In fact, Jesus really took time to give commentary on the style of leadership these religious leaders practiced. It was a gentle type of leadership. And one of the reasons why it was so was due to this. They didn't love God. And it showed because they didn't obey his commands. And that is why some of his harshest rebukes were for the religious leaders. He said things like, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far away from me. Uh, You are like whitewashed tombs. You, You clean the outside, but inside are dead man's bones. Some of the harshest insults, so to speak, were reserved for them because they weren't practicing quality leadership. And Jesus now, who was about to, should I even say, descend and ascend, because he was going to die, and then he was going to resurrect, descend and ascend, and hand over the baton of leadership, gave them a very important principle, that Christ-like leadership is operated on love. And when we are talking about love, for that matter, loving God. But how we know you love God? We won't know you love God just because you come to church. We won't know you love God because you are involved in some ritual or activity, and we are not saying all that are not good, but Jesus is saying that the proof of the pudding, which is in the eating, and for that matter, what will show that you love God is obeying my commands. Don't be 
like the leaders I have come to meet. Don't be like the leaders of your day. And when you read the book of Acts, I believe one of the reasons why the apostles were able to do so much, you know, it was said that Christianity was birthed in AD 33. And a century is 100 years. So within the space of 67 years, the whole world became Christianized. You know, but it was said that by the end of first century, there was only one religion. It was Christianity. The world at that time, the whole world, can you believe? The whole world was Christianized. Christianity was declared a world state religion in 67 years. And I believe one of the reasons why that happened was because of this scripture. If you love God, if you love me, obey my commands. And I've come to realize that if we will want to be effective Christians, even in our society, at our workplaces, in our environs, it will first and foremost has to start with loving God. And loving God will show when you obey his commands. And when we don't do that, we will just become hypocritical. We will just become like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We will have a form of religion, yet we will lack so much power. And even though there was so much church uh, during the time of Jesus, you know, they used to go to the temple or the synagogue and, and go to, and go to you know, um, the, the, his presence. Every Sabbath, it didn't produce much change. And the people didn't even know God because it started with the Pharisees. They didn't love God. So Jesus said, look, if you, if you love me, obey my commands. Because that is what will take you to rise to the next level of leadership. So I really believe that Jesus' statement really came from a place of the baton of leadership is going to be passed on to you in my absence. But you can only become effective in society when you love God. And it shows when you obey my commands. Listen, if we want to say we love God, listen obey his commands. That is what matters to God. Amen. Now, verse 16, he says something very interesting. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another, another, another. Now, this word another is a very interesting one. This word another means one of the same kind. One of the same kind. And, and Jesus was talking about the spirit in question here, who he referred to as a helper. And what did Jesus mean by one of the same kind? By this, Jesus is implying he would do in my absence what I would do if I were physically present. So they, I'm not just sending someone who is in my form I am sending one of the same kind. We operate the same. We share the same essence. We have the same nature. We coexist. By this too, Jesus was also inferring the Holy Spirit is a person. Another, one of the same kind. And it was very important for Jesus to drive this truth home to them because of the average Jew's understanding 
of the Holy Spirit. He is one of the same kind. He's a person like me, has feelings like me. He has godlike qualities like me. He, ha- he also has godlike nature like me. We share in the attributes of God, one of the same kind. He will do what I would do in this bodily presence in my absence. That's what I'm sending to you. Now, pray, my Father. The Holy Spirit is the Father's gift to mankind. So he says that I am sending another, one of the same kind, an alus, as it's mentioned in the Greek, one of the same kind. We are of the same nature. We are of the same essence. We share the same attributes. We have the same divine qualities. We are the same. Even though we are three persons, one God, another, another. And then he uses the word helper, which is a very interesting word. And when you look at the Greek definition of this word helper, it has two meanings. It's divided into two. The first part means beside. And the second one means called. So when you look at the full meaning of this word helper, the meaning of the word helper means the Holy Spirit is called to be by our side, assuring us of the Father's presence and helping us to be like Christ. So that's the meaning of the word helper. The Holy Spirit has been called to one's side. He's been called to our side. And he's been called to our side to assure us of the Father's presence, that God is with you. He hasn't left you. And that is my job. My job is to assure you. My job is to put into remembrance that God is with you. And then secondly, I am the force, the motivation that will help you to assume Christ-like qualities, Christ-like nature, and Christ-like character. Like I said, I think in our midweek Bible study, the reason why God has called us to be Christians is not to inherit a blessing. The reason why God has called us to be Christians is to be conformed to the image of his son. And for us to be conformed to the image of his son, it will not take human will or fleshly ambition. It's a spiritual drive. It's a spiritual motive, and you will need spiritual assistance and backing to be able to assume Christ-like character. And for that to happen, this is where the Holy Spirit plays in. So right here, Jesus explained to us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, this was also not Jesus's first reference to the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you read the book of John, I think in about four different places, Jesus made mention of the Holy Spirit, but very brief. He first of all spoke of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. So his disciples were not there. So they were not privy to this meeting. And he told Nicodemus that until you are born of the Spirit and of water, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
And then he began to describe the Holy Spirit as wind. The wind blows where it's listed. It does not know where it's going. It does not know where it comes from. And Jesus had to come to their level due to how they understood who the Holy Spirit was. Because to the average Jew, the Holy Spirit was a force. But Jesus, right here, before one day to his death, said that the Holy Spirit is not a force. Yes, he can operate like wind, but he is not wind. Yes, he can function like oil, but he is not oil. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a person. He is one of the same kind, with the same heavenly attributes, the same divine attributes, the same godly attributes one of the same kind, another. But he told Nicodemus, he's like the wind. So that was the first time he made mention. The second time he made mention of the Holy Spirit was in John chapter 4, when he spoke to the uh, woman of Samaria. And in in, 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 in his discourse with the woman, He told the woman something that God is a spirit and they that worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus told the woman that when it comes to this Christian walk of faith, it's a spiritual walk. It's not ephemeral as in dealing with physical things that you can touch, handle, and see. It's bigger than that. God is a spirit, and if you worship him, you worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the third time Jesus made mention of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were there. So I will say that probably this is the first time that they heard of Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's in John chapter 6. When he did the miracle of feeding 5,000 families with five loaves of bread and two fish, he, he made mention of something. He said, it is the spirit that gives life, for the flesh profits nothing. And Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he said, for the words that I speak unto you, they are spirits and they are life. So Jesus attributed, when it comes to life, eternal life, the Holy Spirit is the source. He's the life giver. And not just that, he is also behind the words I speak. And that's why rightfully so, when you read uh, uh, 1 Peter, the author of the Bible is correctly attributed to the Holy Spirit. Because like Jesus said, The words that I speak, they are spirits and they are life. So the first time Jesus spoke to the disciples, because the first two, they were not there. He made mention of the Holy Spirit as he is the life giver. And not just that, he's also the inspiration behind everywhere that I speak. Now, the second time that they heard Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit again, was in John chapter 7. So this is the fourth time in the book of John, but this is the second time in the hearing of the disciples. Jesus said that, if you believe me, 
if you receive me. And he used the euphemism of test. He said, if you test after me, come and drink of me. And when you drink of me, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And then the Bible lets us know that he was talking about the spirits. And the gift of the spirit was to those who believe in him. So Jesus was saying that I am the gateway to the Holy Spirit. So the first time the disciples heard about Jesus' commentary on the Holy Spirit was he is the life giver and he is the force and the inspiration behind my words. The second time the disciples heard about Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I am the gateway. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit and receive the Holy Spirit, you will have to believe me first. And now, John chapter 14 is the third time Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit to the people. And this is a day before he is crucified. But this time he is telling them that the Holy Spirit that you knew as a force, the Holy Spirit that you know as a life giver is the same as me. We share divine attributes. We share godly attributes. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. And that's a very foundational truth. And I believe that as Christians, one of the foundational truths every believer has to understand is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is not just a force. He is not a chill bomb. The Holy Spirit is a person. Because when you don't understand this, it will affect your growth. It will affect your advancement in the things of God. And mind you, after verse 15, where verses 12, 13, and 14, which we did last week, Jesus spoke about greater works. You can't do greater works without the Holy Spirit. You can't divorce. The Holy Spirit and greater works are interwoven. That is never going to happen. So Jesus making mention of this was trying to let them know the true status, the true nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen. So we thank God for that. It's important for us to know that about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, the disciples who were mostly Jews, this would have been a shock to them. The reason why this would have been a shock to them was their understanding of the Holy Spirit was different. First and foremost, they didn't know the Holy Spirit as a person. Most Jews didn't know him as a person. They knew him as a feeling. They knew him as a sensation. They knew him as an endowment. They knew him even as power. But they didn't know him as a person. Even when you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, 
The Bible says, let's start from verse 1. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then verse 2, for the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit was hovering upon the face of the waters. Now, in the Hebrew, when you look at the word Spirit, it means breath. So to the Jewish man, the Holy Spirit was breath. The Holy Spirit was wind. The Holy Spirit was a force. The Holy Spirit was inspiration. That's why even Job, an Old Testament prophet, he said, there is the inspiration of the Almighty is of the Lord. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. He saw the Holy Spirit as inspiration or breath. And even though rightfully so, the Holy Spirit can be an inspiration He can be breath, he can be wind, he can be all of that. His true nature is he is a person. Secondly, they also didn't know the Holy Spirit as God. And thanks be to God that Peter graduated from his knowledge of the Holy Spirit. When you read Acts chapter 6, I believe, let's read. It would be better for us to read. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, verse 1 sold possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the parcel of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but God. You see Peter's graduation of knowledge. So Peter, who was a common Jew, his knowledge of the Holy Spirit was not God. His knowledge of the Holy Spirit was a force. But after his encounter with Jesus, And after him also experiencing personally the Holy Spirit, he now saw the Holy Spirit in his true form and true nature. He is God. And that is why Peter could use God and the Holy Spirit interchangeably. You have not lied to the Holy Spirit, but you have lied to God. So the Jewish people, like I said, they only saw the Holy Spirit as a force. So this must have been a culture shock to them. He's not a force. He's another, one of the same kind. He's a person, has feelings. He can be grieved. He can be joyed. The Holy Spirit is God. They didn't know that. They didn't know the Holy Spirit also as part of the Trinity. And like I said, they saw him merely 
as feeling, force, wind, and etc. And when we talk about the Trinity, the Trinity is not really a Bible word. The Trinity was just formed by church fathers, you know, which, which explains to us that God existing in coexisting, co-eternal persons. God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So that's why we get the Trinity. And, and the Trinity too is also biblical because throughout the Bible, you, you see that. So it's a perfect term to use because sometimes people say that the Trinity is, yeah, it's not in the Bible because it's a Latin word formed by church fathers and I wouldn't even want to go into that. So Jesus had to change the orientation of the minds of his people about who the Holy Spirit was, see the Holy Spirit in the right way. Yes, he may have enabled Samson. Yes, he may have enabled Othniel. Yes, he may have been a power and come upon Samson, but he is God. That was just an inspiration. Even today in our church circles, we have reduced the Holy Spirit to oil. Oil is only a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but oil is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit, as we've read, he's called another. And I want to stress on that because it's one of the same kind. One of the same kind. And the Holy Spirit is a helper. Helper meaning he is called beside the believer to assure the believer of the Father's presence and help us, motivate us to be like Christ. We are supposed to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, and that can only happen because of the presence of the Spirit. Amen. Now, was the Holy Spirit manifested in the Old Testament? And I think I will end with that. I want to talk about seven things about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And then we'll end on that. Like I said, I really want to take my time. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament participated in creation. So the Holy Spirit didn't just arrive in John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit has been throughout the Bible. He was part of creation because he's God. Genesis 1 verse 2. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives life to humanity. Psalm 109, we, we, we can read that. Number three, the Holy Spirit strove with sinners. And if you read Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, before the Lord destroyed the earth, he said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for his days on earth will be 120. What does it mean when the Bible says that spirit strives with man? That is where we talk about the convicting power. Man is able to know I've sinned. I'm in the wrong. 
because the spirit is striving with man, giving him that sense of conviction. And we'll read about that in John chapter 16, when we look at the offices of the Holy Spirit. Number four, he came upon certain people to give them extraordinary power in the Old Testament. So in those where you can read of people like Joshua, Numbers chapter 27, verse 18. You can read of people like Othniel. Come on, Othniel. Judges chapter 3, verse 16. What made Othniel different was the Holy Spirit. Just a very ordinary person. But when the Spirit came upon him, he was able to do more than his natural capabilities. Gideon, Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Everybody go and read the story of Gideon. If God can use Gideon, God can use you. Very humble, ordinary background. Yeah, God used them to do the miraculous. Why? Because the Spirit came upon him and endowed him. Samson, Judges chapter 13, verse 25. I don't believe that Samson was muscular. I believe Samson was just had a very ordinary figure. That is why Delilah asked the question, what is the secret of your strength? Because if Samson was bulging with muscles and he had a six-pack or even an eight-pack, I, I don't think Delilah will ask that question. But I'm sure when you see Samson, he doesn't look like somebody who is strong. But when the spirit comes upon him, he's able to lift the gate of a city upon his shoulders. He has supernatural strength, not because he went to the gym, but because the spirit endowed him. Amen. Number five, the Holy Spirit played a prominent role in prophecy. Ezekiel chapter two. Like when you see the prophetic books that have been written from Isaiah to Malachi, all those are prophetic books. And there are 17 of them in between Isaiah to Malachi. All those are engineered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit played a key role. And what was the Holy Spirit's job? To tell them about Christ. Isaiah could only talk about Christ because of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Malachi could only talk about Christ because of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. This is not something that they talked about. This is not something that it's it's a, a fruit of their imagination. It could only happen for them to pen about the Messiah Pen about his ministry, pen about his death, pen about the significance of his death, pen that he is going to rise up again. All this happened because the Holy Spirit was the author, he was the force behind these prophecies. And Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2 is one typical example. The Bible says, And the Spirit entered into me, and I spoke. So, whatever Ezekiel said, he didn't say it because he thought about it. He said it because he was motivated by the Holy Spirit to say that. The same thing that we see about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was he inspired holiness. Psalm 143, verse 10. And number seven, the Holy Spirit was very crucial in helping God's people to expect the ministry of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 to five. So prior to Jesus mentioning the Holy Spirit, he was a very active presence 
in the Old Testament. Amen. I think it's very important for us because sometimes people think that the Holy Spirit was dead and was very silent, but he was very active. But the reason why the people could not gain cognizance of the Holy Spirit was due to dispensations, errors. It wasn't yet his time. Amen. But after Jesus died, resurrected, ascended to the Father, it's now his time. It's his era. And we are going to learn more about that as we go into the scripture. So today, the key point that I want us all to take home is the Holy Spirit is God. He is another. Alus. The same kind, the same divine attributes, the same heavenly nature as God the Father, as God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. He is not an it. He is not a chill bump. He is not a feeling. He is not a thought. He can be all of those things expressed, but the true nature of the Holy Spirit is he is God. So today I pray that may the Lord help us to appreciate the Holy Spirit as God. And that's all that Jesus came to do, to help us to appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. Appreciate him as God. Then he can work effectively in your life. I believe one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to have full expression in the lives of believers is, number one, we are not even seeing him in the right way. And that's why before Jesus talked about spiritual gifts, he first and foremost had to talk about the giver of the gifts, who is the Holy Spirit. If you see him in the right way, then you are able to flow in whatever gifts the Spirit has for you. Amen. I want us to pray for copyright issues. I wouldn't want us to record the song. And then immediately I finish praying. The music is going to play again. The same song. I want you to listen to the words very carefully in a very prayerful mood. Amen. So Father, we thank you for what we've heard this morning. Help us to appreciate you, the Holy Spirit, as God. And Father, I thank you that as this message goes out, may the knowledge of your spirits become evident and lively in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.